Yeah, that's what I said, James. I think that Gwen has gotten into my brain because our daughter right now is always either acting like a cat or a dog. Oh. So, anyways. Or maybe um, she gets it from you. How dare you? It's probably this probably is the case. So um, hey guys. Hey. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thirteenth Floor. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And this week, our topic was brought to you by our amazing Patreon subscriber Jordan. So thanks, Jordan. Yeah, thank you, Jordan, for submitting this topic. I'll be honest. My brain is in knots after this, doing this research, and I didn't even have the hardest topic. This was uh, quite quite the brain teaser. I liked it um, because it turns out that all my understanding of mine um, is from fiction. Yep. <laughs> Alex Alex had almost had a breakdown when he was doing his research, and I just came into the living room, and he was just laughing maniacally. <laughs> and he was just like, I can't do this. But I he, didn't say I couldn't do this. I just said it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> but, you guys, we, we did our independent research, and we've come together to share our knowledge with you, with you lovely, lovely listeners. Neil deGrasse Tyson, eat your heart out. Yeah. So, I, he's definitely going to listen to this episode. Like, he's going to learn a lot from us yeah, today, I yeah. think. It's time to educate the man a little bit, right? Right. <laughs> so, James, how have you been? I've been well. How about you? We've been excellent. Thank you for asking. That's like I think that's the first time that you've ever asked me, James. <laughs> I'm sure. You usually true. say, "How are you guys?" Implying it's both of us. Uh, but I feel special. I just talk to you. Yeah, he just talked to me only. That's how I'm gonna. I, like, how rude, James! <laughs> wow. Mm. Yeah. I this I've is been offensive. excellent. We tried a new restaurant today called. Mm. Um, Ponko chicken. Oh, so good. It was Ponko really chicken. good. Ponko chicken. James, when you're in town next, we'll have to take you there. Hmm. But other than that, we've just been busy keeping up with the, the little child that we have, that we share. Mm. But yeah, that's been our lives. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well, James. And lovely listeners all around the globe, we hope that you are doing well, too. Hmm. Are you guys ready for some hearty hellos? Hearty. Yeah. Hearty Hellos. Today, we are going to say hello to all of our wonderful listeners in Kenya, because we're oh. back in the map in Africa. Uh, makes cool. me think of so, Weebly. Remember that song? We got the lions only in Kenya. I, you know what? I don't know. I have what? no idea what you're talking oh, about. I, I, maybe if there was music playing, I'd be like, oh, that song that I didn't pay attention to lyrics to, but I totally was jamming out. Yeah, you probably, yeah. when Alex dances. Or Mr. Weeble, that's what it was called, Mr. Weeble. Yeah, no, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. It was really popular back when the internet was young. Like, like, yeah. I I was not an early adopter of the internet, James. Neither was I. I was really raised by a religious fundamentalist who literally thought that the devil would, would you know. Come out, of the, come out of the computer? Basically. And so James had to be very secretive with all of his online doings. <laughs> um. We're also going to give a hearty hello to Queensland in Australia. Nice glad to have could, you here. Glad we could entertain you during these horrible times. <laughs> and then we also want to give a hearty hello to everybody in New Hampshire here in the States. Thank you for listening. No matter where you are located in the world, we appreciate the fact that you have taken some time out of your day to just listen to us chat about something that is interesting or odd or fun. And today is string theory. So... 
I will say before we start our topics, before we get to our icebreaker, really, um, James has kind of devised a way to turn this topic into a threefold topic. Yeah. So, so it's not all just talking about screen. Yeah. yeah. It's more yeah. like what's the universe made of? Here's three perspectives. Yeah. So, anyways, um, James, do you want to talk about our Patreon really quickly? What are we talking about on Patreon this week? Uh, we're, we're doing my Q&A, um, the video episode. <laughs> yes. So, patrons, <laughs> if you have any questions that you want to ask James, you can submit them as soon as possible, because that episode's coming out tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I hope that, James, you better record that right after we record this, or else I'm going to have to... I'm off kicking your shins. Yeah. We should kick him in his shins. No, we're gonna let I'm gonna let Pickles kick him in his shins because Pickles is always sticking his little claw out of the <sighs> One day it's gonna be like those action movies where they got the person in the prison and the guard just gets too close and he just like, breaks his <laughs> arm and he escapes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Anyways, we do want to thank all of our, our Patreon subscribers because you guys are the best for supporting us. So thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. James, I think it's time for an icebreaker. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> Might just have to be a generic this week. Yeah. Um, let me think about that one for just Mr. a second. Mr. Weebles. So while you're thinking about it, I was looking at uh, Mr. Oh, Weeble. that's perfect, actually. That's perfect. What is your favorite, um, like, what was your favorite, what you would call young internet phenomenon? Ooh. Oh, that is tough. Um, mm. You know, I was obsessed with Neopets. Uh. I used to spend hours playing Neopets online when I was a youngling. And I remember I got really depressed, but I was learning about, I can't remember, I think it was like Greek or Roman. Um, mythology or way back when like you know the girls in the family would have their dad's first name and then just add Ia on the end mm. what culture was that James I have no idea what you're talking about okay mm. well that's what my teacher told me and so I got a little horse neopet and I named her Donia 919 <laughs> and then I forgot about her like I just stopped playing <laughs> neopets and when I came back right. she was very very sick and I never forgave myself. In fact, mm. I still have nightmares about abandoning <laughs> Donia 919. So, wow. Yeah. And that was also the website that inspired my fear of identity theft because I was always terrified that someone was going to hack my account and steal all of my Neo points. Mm. It happened, actually. That's why I was so scared of it. But that's what made me more conscious about being careful on the internet. I. I can think of a Weeble thing that you guys know, though. You guys have to know Badgers, 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 yes, Badgers, Badgers. Yes. Okay. I'm... Mushrooms, mushrooms. Yep. It's a snake. No, I, I am... <laughs> Do you remember Homestar Runner? That, that was, was going to be mine, actually. Yeah, Homestar Runner, hands oh, down. Man. Oh, Flippin' loved Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner. Mm. Alex, what was yours? You know, I discovered Homestar Runner pretty late, I think, actually, um, mm. compared to like when everybody else did. I could see you liking E-Bombs World. I did. Yeah. Me, I remember me and my friend Chad, we would go watch, we would go to E-Bombs World and just have the blast. That, and then also I really like Newgrounds. Early oh, see, Newgrounds. I almost said that, All man. those Flash like, games, all those Flash yeah. games that people were making, and some of them Ended up making it big time. Even though you can spot like the that art style, like even with well, think about Meat Canyon mm-hmm. for example. Like anytime I watch Meat Canyon, I get nostalgic for Newgrounds because 
it's like the same art style. It's just it was just like a the wild west of like flash video games back yeah. then. You could do Man, anything. Was awesome. That was a fun time. Like Cartoon Network would have games on there as Ooh, well, and they would have like a Dragon Ball Z fighting game uh, for Toonami, and like all these <laughs> channels would have games. It was so fun. See, we couldn't. My my dad wouldn't let us yeah. download too many games. We didn't I was download. Like, you played them. You played them on Flash. See, I don't remember yeah. playing on Flash. Which how weird is right. that, Alex? That Flash is dead. That is weird. You can't play a Flash game now. It's it's literally like the the black and white TV of uh, yeah. The it's internet. like it's like a whole console just disappearing off of forever. Yeah. Let's give a moment of silence for Flash. All right. F in the chat for Flash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you guys remember LimeWire? Oh yeah, LimeWire and mm. I, I caught the tail end of Napster. Really Same. caught the whole. It got the. I rode the entire wave of LimeWire. Oh, yeah. we we completely effed up my dad's computer oh, yeah. with LimeWire. <laughs> oh yeah, I think everybody did. <laughs> so, anyways, you guys, times have changed. I got really good at learning how to use antivirus. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's why your dad is so strict about antivirus because every time we go to Bowling Green, Alex's dad is like, "I got a free antivirus. You want you want to use the the other <laughs> every time?" And it's all your fault because you Probably. just had to download Blink One Eighty Two. I never did Blink One Eighty Two, but I did everything else like that. Man, LimeWire is very special. Like that's how, that's mm-hmm. how I first listened to. Daft Punk and Gorillaz albums. And that was, um, and you'd have to burn it onto a CD. Yeah, because yep. I had heard them on Toonami late at night on Cartoon Network, and then I downloaded them on LimeWire, and I was like, wow. And then eventually I did buy all of it. You guys probably don't remember Zoog Disney, do you? Uh-uh. What? Zoog Disney? I didn't do, I did, I, I had no relation, I had no uh, interaction with Disney products other than movies. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm basically learning that there was like a basically a girl's internet, apparently. Neopets and Zoog Disney. Yeah, yeah I didn't know was. about Neopets. I'm really glad I asked this question because this has turned into like a Barbara Walters level interview. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> How I spent a lot of my time while I was younger. But I just... Sometimes I'm I miss that dial up like and then your mom yelling at you yeah. get off the net get off the internet oh, I need uh, to make a phone call yeah AOL, AOL. Was, my dad paid for AOL long after he should have been. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah but anyways that was a fun question James a lot of I am and for all of our younger listeners listen I cannot wait until they come out with a VH1 comes out with like I love the 2000s or the 2010s and stuff like that yeah. remember that when they had the I love the 80s out of the 90s yeah. series they're gonna talk about all this and you guys can catch up because that's where I learned most of my pop culture knowledge you you missed out early internet was the wild west mm. and it was so unique and fun you would go and it wasn't creepy yet. Right, like it didn't feel like it was creepy yet because no. you would. I remember just going into AOL chats and chatting with random people all around the world, and there was no concern about something creepy or anything like that. It wasn't. Nobody realized that there could be creeps out there. Yeah, yeah. Point. I mean, I'm sure the horrible things were probably happening, but it just didn't have that vibe to it now. And mm. now the the internet is a much less optimistic and fun place. I agree. Yeah, the the I feel like the internet doesn't have a soul anymore. It had a yeah. soul at one time and now it's just sort of like a corporate l- l- hub. 
It's a corporate yeah. hub of, of various forms of information, and that's all. It's just exactly. a way to track us, in my opinion. That's all yeah. the internet is now, which yeah. we will be talking about in an upcoming episode of our Patreon exclusives. You guys have heard uh, Bo Burnham's Welcome to the Internet, right? No. no. Oh, my God. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend okay. it. So we'll, good. we'll have to check that out right after this. But, James, yeah. I think it's time for us to talk about string theory. I'm okay. longing for the past like I don't think I ever have. <laughs> wow. Right. This is a nostalgia trip. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, let me pull up mine because I'm going to start today. Hmm. And my sources were Britannica.com, Wikipedia, Dictionary.com, History.com. And I also just kind of relied on my own brain, you guys. Oh, you never used that before. Listen. Not in your sources. Listen, it was, this was, <laughs> I really had to dig deep because... I am talking about the classical theory. Okay. And I just want to preface my segment with an apology to lovely Jordan who submitted this topic because girlfriend physics was just not my subject in school. In case you were unaware. While you read this, I want to, since we can't by copyright play classical music, I'll do it myself. So go ahead. (laughs) I'm going to punch you in your cheek. No. There's oh okay you don't want to do it I'm all there's well there's a reason why I did not pursue my initial dream of science when I was in college and that is because I feel deep down in my soul that math with letters should not exist Mm -hmm. and I understand why it's important but also just like why I can handle math with one number two number three number sometimes four numbers but as soon as you get to five numbers and beyond. And then you have the audacity to throw letters into the mix. Or God forbid parentheses. Yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself, universe. Shame on you. And some of you may think that my attitude toward math is unacceptable, but I'm entitled to my opinions, James. (laughs) Um, And with that, let me hop into my topic. Again, I'm talking about the classical theory of the universe, and this is supposedly the easiest of these topics. So thank you for giving me a break on that, James. But per James, classical theory, and this is what he texted me when I said, what the heck is classical theory? And he said, it views that objects are either particles or waves, but not both. It's either or. It's very black and white. Um, It's classical. And this is Alex. This is when you make your little music noise. (laughs) Okay, so let's listen. Listen. Usually in a podcast, they fade it to the background, and it's just really light. (laughs) Yep. All right, we're done. We're done. I am not here to teach you physics, dear listener, because number one, I would lead you wildly astray. Number two, James would get mad at me for leading you wildly astray, and then he would interrupt me and take over my segment. And then three, it would be really boring if I just hopped into, hey, this is physics. And I'm not here to put you to sleep. I'm here to inspire you with interesting content. So I am going to share some interesting stories surrounding the creation of of classical physics and the creation of the universe. Yep. So here it is. So who invented classical theory? It was a joint effort, you guys. There were lots of people. And some of the earliest renowned scientists who contributed to this gift to the universe um, that is classical physics are Sir Isaac Newton. Bet you've heard of him. Uh, Had an apple fall on his head. And then he was like, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But then he was also like, wait a minute, physics. So I'm going to talk more about him in a minute. Only person to get smarter from a concussion. (laughs) 
Well, another major contributor to classical physics was Gottfried Willem Leibniz. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it, James? Exactly. Yep. Leibniz. Yeah. Yeah. Him and uh, him and Newton, man. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna talk about it, man. All Those right. two, they hated each other's guts. Um, but Gottfried, he knew how to whip up mathematical equations. Then you got Joseph Louis Lagrange, Leonard Euler, and then another major player that I believe everyone has heard of is Galileo, the king of the scientific revolution. And who, if you remember, boys, has one of his fingers on display at some museum in Italy, <laughs> which we discussed on a recent Patreon episode. But imagine, guys, way back in the day, this is what I thought about as soon as I saw that he was a contributor here. He used that finger to write out math to explain the laws of our universe. And he used it to point at <laughs> it, the sky at one point. Exactly. <laughs> and you can go and see it if you visit Italy. And if you're Nicolas Cage, you can steal it. Oh my. <laughs> there, there are a lot of other contributors to classical physics and theory, obviously. But they all, in some form or fashion looked at our world, realized that there are patterns and predictable ways that matter behaves and that like could have come about. And they made up math to explain it. Yeah. And when I personally think of classical theory, I look at it like it's just the basics. That's the way that I kind of describe it. Like I've got the basics. Alex has the advanced course. And then James gets collegiate with his, his segment. (laughs) Masters. Yeah. Masters degree. But It's the stuff that you studied in high school, like Newton's laws of gravity and motion. Again, everyone probably knows the story about how the apple supposedly uh, fell on his head. There's actually absolutely no way to verify that it hit him on the head. Yeah, I personally. Yeah, it, it fell out of a tree and inspired him to find out why things fall, you know, down versus up or sideways or in a loop de loop. He made an observation. And then he, being the scientist that he was, investigated his observation, and boom! Now we have to study his findings in school. Um, <laughs> did you guys know that Newton's family did not want him to become a scholar? No. No, his mommy, dearest, whom he had a very difficult relationship with because she abandoned him when he was a child for uh, another man. Her husband passed away. Apparently, Newton's father was a farmer. And then he passed away right before Newton was born. And then Newton's mom was like, oh, I found another suitor. And she moved in with him. But um, she wanted Newton to go on and grow potatoes like his father. He wanted him to be a, a farmer. And Newton was like, mother, I will not. Mom, I've got bigger dreams than working these fields. I'm meant for greater things. Oh, my gosh. And he told her to kiss his derriere. And he went to school and he became a smarty pants. And another fun fact, um, we might actually have the Black Plague to thank for Newton's theories of gravity and motion because, uh-oh, the plague hit. Everything was shut down. Sound familiar? Including his school. Everybody was like, listen, there's this bad, bad illness that's just like circulating. So we're going to cut down on the school time. Mm. We're going to shut down the schools. Everybody go home. Live your lives. Try not to, you know, die. And... He was at his manor, and he was just, like, sitting out in the backyard in the garden, and then all of a sudden he saw that apple fall from a tree. And so it happened while he was hiding from a pandemic. And another fun fact is that that apple tree is actually still growing to this day in his little manor. I don't believe it. But let's, let's talk about another contributor to classical physics. Newton's arch nemesis, as James reported, Gottfried 
Leibniz. Leibniz. Um, this guy invented what was the bane of my existence in high school, even worse than physics, calculus. <laughs> and Newton and Leibniz, they actually had a big skerfuffle over who devised this torturous branch of mathematics. So yeah. Newton apparently developed a version of it in the 1660s or so he said, and he didn't publish it. He just kind of kept it to himself and it kind of circulated within his little tiny scholarly group. But then in 1670s, Leibniz created and published his own calculus work, which pissed Newton off because he was like, wait a minute, that is my work. You copied it off of me. And then Leibniz was like, no, I didn't. You copied your ideas off of me. And it was a whole thing. So Newton, he pulled a very bureaucratic move by saying, hey, the organization in which I am president of, the Royal Society, is going to carry out an impartial investigation Mm. and determine who really invented calculus. So he got all of his friends on the committee, and naturally they decided that Newton really did discover calculus. Oh. Yeah. But Mm. Leibniz' method of calculus is actually the one that is most commonly used around the world. It's probably the one that you learned about in school, dear listener. Um, So... We just need to, to take a moment to give Gottfried major props. So thank you, Gottfried, for giving me my earliest migraines in life. <laughs> and now let's give props to a guy named James Clerk Maxwell, Ooh. who devised Maxwell's theory of electromagnetism, which obviously is the discovery that electrical fields and magnetic fields can couple together to form electromagnetic waves. Well, right, okay. Alex? Yeah. Duh. And he came up with the equation for it, which I totally understand. And I would just love to lay it out for you here on the show, dear listener. But listen, I've got to let James and Alex speak here soon. (laughs) So I'm just going to like, you know, it's out there. You know it. And then (laughs) lastly, uh, seriously, there are a ton of contributors. I ended up just looking at biographies for like six hours today. Galileo. I... If you'll remember from one of our previous episodes where he actually shared quite a bit about his life, um, you know, he noticed how the planets move around the sun and found himself in big trouble by the Catholic Church because they were like, Mm -hmm. no, everything revolves around the earth. And he was just like, oh, yeah, it was just a theory. And then, yeah. So anyways, (laughs) classical theory of the laws of the universe. It's pretty intense, you guys. Per SmithsonianMag.com, it actually, quote, it describes, quote, the fabric of space-time as a four-dimensional structure with three dimensions of space and one of time. And James actually had a very good explainer about this during our time travel episode. So if you want to hear more about that kind of stuff, go back, listen to that one if you haven't already. But it is like the basic, basic view of how our universe works. And it does come with a problem, though. Hmm. Which is where Alex is going to be stepping in. All of the theories and equations that these guys devised stop working when you look at teeny tiny itty bitty particles like atoms or at objects moving insanely fast, like at the speed of light. So if you try to apply like all of these equations, they came up to those things. The predictability of matter and movement just doesn't really make sense anymore. And that's where I'm going to I'm going to take my hat off and I'm going to put it on Alex's curly-haired head. He's going to talk to us now about mm. string theory. All right. So, yeah. I mean, that you, you kind of mentioned that there is a point where classical physics has that point of, 
where predictability kind of ceases to exist. And that's where my my big baby, quantum physics and my you, string theory come, come you, into play. Your big baby? Yeah. I want to give a shout out to three specific YouTube videos that helped me uh, not have a stroke. Big Think, <laughs> uh, which in a channel, which is when Michio Kaku... <laughs> Explains. Oh, I love that guy. String that he's really. I really enjoyed watching his video. Uh, I want to watch the full thing uh, whenever I get a chance, but it's like an hour long. Um, <laughs> String theory explained by uh, which is a video by Tech Insider and a TEDx talks, um, which is a quantum physics for seven year olds. For seven year olds, <laughs> you know, Gwen has a book on quantum theory. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she does. Um, so. What is everything made of? It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how all three of us tackle uh, this topic. <laughs> um, you know, what are the ingredients of life? Sugar. Yeah, there you go. Um, if you cut a piece of wood in half and cut it into infinity, you know we'll eventually cut it into molecules. Of course, then we'll cut it down into atoms, and then protons, neutrons, electrons, eventually quarks, and then we get to mine. Tiny little, these tiny little particles that are string-like filaments of vibrating energy. And one vibration is enough to create something like an electron or quark. Kind of like, picture a, hmm, picture like this string being something that plays a note. Like you've got a violin, you play a string, and something is created. It's kind of the idea, but, you know, you're creating... Electrons. That's how I think of it. I, I think of the universe as a literal symphony, a four-dimensional symphony. Yeah, wow. and that's the way I saw a lot of these physicists try to describe it. <laughs> and this it's like this little filament just vibrates. Sometimes it's a complete circle. Sometimes it's it's a, a, it's a just like a, a line. But there's ver- varieties, and these varieties create various different things. So that's kind of the idea of what this filament is doing as it vibrates. So why does string theory really matter, though? Like, why is this something that we're investigating? You know, oh, things vibrate. Oh, well, who cares? Well, it potentially answer- allows us to answer some questions that we would normally wouldn't be able to, for instance. Like you said, Cece, there's this, there's this point where even Einstein's equations break down um, and that's when we take a look at the Big Bang and the center of black holes. His equations really kind of fall apart. Black holes freak me out. Yeah, they're crazy. So that's where string theory really comes into play. So how does vibrating particles go beyond Einstein in really any meaningful way? Well, quantum physics says that particles behave in insane ways. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's a couple examples that were in those videos. So imagine you're bouncing a wall, a ball against a wall and catching it. And you just keep, you're still bouncing it. You know, everything's going like, exactly like you think. Quantum physics says that eventually, well, not eventually, possibly there is a point where you throw that and, and that ball phases. It through, goes right through the wall? Through the wall. Yep, and then it just goes outside well, and bounces James, outside. I feel like James mentioned this uh, in an episode not too long ago, too, about if you you know slap a table, there's a possibility. There's a possibility your hand will phase right through it. Phase right through yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's mentioned it before. This is the same thing. So there's that possibility. And another example of quantum physics is like, say you drop a ball into a pond. And when that ball hits the water, ripples go out. 
ball vanishes. Okay? <laughs> the ripples go out. They hit a stick in the water. The ball comes back in that position. Uh, Even if that position is like a mile away. Right. What? Okay. The particles of the ball are behaving like a wave. Is that it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it reappears. So pretty crazy. <laughs> now, in quantum physics, imagine a particle spinning two opposite directions at the exact same time. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is possible. This is where we get into like Schrodinger's cat. Right. Yeah. But we can't perform it. <laughs> but mathematically, it is possible. But we Math. just... The, the, the thing about quantum physics and a lot of things that we just don't understand about quantum physics, because one of the things we often hear, and they said this in the video, and I've heard it said a million times, is we just don't really understand quantum physics. But that's not really true. We just can't imagine <laughs> quantum <laughs> physics because it's so brain-breaking in a lot of ways. Right. But It, it makes sense on paper. Exactly. But then the way we take in the world, it... it <laughs> falls short of our senses. Right. And that's because it, it a lot of quantum physics actually kind of expands our dimensions from three to six. Sometimes, sometimes 11. Um, okay. Modern strength theory is more like so 11. It's a lot. It's a lot. And yeah. it's, there's a reason why we can't wrap our heads around that. Like a two-dimensional creature would not be able to perceive a three-dimensional creature, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Go it ahead, makes, Cece. Well, it just makes mm-hmm. me feel better about not understanding all this stuff. Oh, right. <laughs> right. So it is possible. Now, so back to what I was talking about, you know, the movement of particles within string theory, uh, you know, this part of quantum mechanics. Now, nuclear fission is when two particles are colliding. And part of that colliding is them phasing into each other. And like I just mentioned, you know, this the, these things are colliding. And this is kind of what happens inside the sun to create all this energy, right? All these, all these crazy quantum physics are happening inside the sun. So, I mentioned the Big Bang earlier. The Big Bang is possibly explained by this other interesting thing that accompanies string theory. And it asserts that there's a multiverse. Yeah, because of the way all these things are moving. I I don't quite, I'm going to be perfectly honest, this is where I lose the thread. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And James, if you can, if you can tie the knot for me and get these two together, then go for it. Um, But I do love multiverse theories, Uh, usually in fiction, because I really like it in fiction. Um, But I hadn't really heard of this one that I probably feel like I should have because it's based in reality. (laughs) Um, But really in quantum in, in string theory, the Big Bang is theorized to be not dissimilar to what is happening in the sun that I mentioned a moment ago. Fusion. Yeah. Hydrogen or turning into helium. This is actually, actually, this, is, this one's going to be uh, fission. So Einstein said oh. that there is one universe, right? He all his, Well, his equations assume that there is one universe, one plane of existence. Mm. But what if there was a multiverse? In this multiverse, imagine a whole bu- a whole bunch of you know different worlds vibrating around, phasing and unfazing, bouncing around until two universes eventually collide or fission together. <laughs> this would destroy both universes and create a new one, which is what is theorized to be what caused the Big Bang. <laughs> the, de- the destruction or fission of two universes. 
Now, can we travel to a new universe? Well, maybe we can uh, using wormholes. <laughs> wormholes would be really the only way we could do it. Now, uh, one way to describe it, uh, a wormhole for anyone who hasn't seen it in fiction, really, or even if they did see it in fiction, didn't even understand it. Imagine it as a, I want to call it a shortcut, because that's, that's the way I, I keep seeing it described as a shortcut between two universes. Uh, you know, if you got a piece of paper, not folded completely, like you didn't crease it, but you were folding it over, and the shortest distance between those two pieces of paper, not including the, uh, the curve, huh. would be that tunnel that would be right. a wormhole. I'd like to point out that wormholes don't necessarily lead to other universes. Yes. They could lead to two different points within Time. this universe. Yeah, yeah. And it could lead between these two things. Uh, now, the there, there's a whole other question of whether we would be able to make it all the way through a wormhole or not. But this is a way to possibly travel between two universes. And there's ways to do it. It would require a lot of energy. Hadron Collider or something like that. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, this would also lead us to be able to time travel. And mm. apparently, Einstein's theories allow for time travel as well. I yeah. think that they've already invented time travel. Well, it's possible. It just requires mm. a ton of energy. That's the only thing. And so, uh, it wouldn't be practical, really. We probably wouldn't be able to make it through. It is interesting. And... I would really, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing a, I mean, I would probably mind seeing a time machine. That would be actually a pretty disturbing thing to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's cool. But yeah, that's, uh, that's string theory and quantum well, mechanics. Uh, I've got to give you props because I actually understood a little bit of that. Well, thank, thing, thank these three men and me for being able to put it together. <laughs> uh, the, the thing that just gets me about all this is that it's theoretical. And I think that maybe it's just because when I try to think about how the universe is supposedly never ending, like it just keeps going and going and going. I started trying to think about that the other day and I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I just got like, I don't know why, but I just got really like scared and depressed about it. There's an interesting thing. A point that was being made in one of these videos is that just the law of physics is a death is a death warrant for the entire universe. Because it mm. implies that there's going to be a an end, yeah, a heat death essentially. Well, I and, and eventually like entropy. Yeah, exactly. Everything just kind of burns out. Now, the cool thing is, is that they say string theory mm. and the, the quantum physics actually mm. breathes life into the world because you would even be able to not only travel to other universes but also travel back in time. And get to, well, not only that, more universes could continue to be made so that, that entropy wouldn't necessarily be a permanent yeah. state. Yeah. Well, mm. Alex, thank you for talking about string theory. I Jordan, I best. know that that was... I did my best, Jordan. Yeah, that was your... I think you did a good topic. job. James, what are you talking about? I'm talking about M-theory. Um, and M-theory... Uh, well, let me let me start by saying that, that string theory, one important point about it is that in classical theory, you have point-like particles, and that's how you think of matter on a one-dimensional scale. Is it like a point, a point-like particle? That's particle physics for you. But in string theory and in super string theory and M theory, which I'll be covering, uh, instead, a one-dimensional object would be a string. 
So that's one of the chief differences is that these strings vibrate, whereas a point-like particle, you just don't know where it is in space and time at any given moment. Uh, whereas these strings, they're, they're multiple places at once because they're vibrating. So that's an important thing. And, and when you observe it, it just looks like a particle. It's got the same mass and charge and properties that you would uh, associate with a particle, but it's not. It's a string. So what's neat about super string theory is like what Alex said about string theory in relation to classical physics is that uh, they run into issues and they're not able to marry certain, excuse me, issues together. And one of those is fermions and bosons, which are uh, little teeny tiny subatomic particles. um, And they aren't accounted for mathematically in standard string theory. So there was an attempt to, bring all this together. This is that whole theory of everything idea mm-hmm. that's uh, largely popularized because of, uh, uh, oh shoot. Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. There we go. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do they mathematically join them together? Well, they, they point out that gravity incorporates a concept called supersymmetry, which is this idea wherein a lot of, while a lot of particles are vibrating, they're not vibrating um, sort of at random uh, or, or at any sort of distance from one another. Instead, there's a, uh, again, like I mentioned before about the idea of the universe being a, um, like a song, is instead there's, there's sort of a harmony to it where uh, sort of bosonic partners of the electrons called selectrons um, they're sort of vibrating in tune with the uh, the electron. So what you're seeing is what would be a good word for that? Everything's sort of moving in a corresponding direction, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And one of the chief reasons why I think this is important, you know, in, in more modern physics is not only does it square away a lot of uh, mathematical difficulties, but it has a lot fewer constraints, which allows people to incorporate other particles as they're discovered, both on paper and via observation. And some of this is happening right now with CERN, whom we've, we've talked about. So, uh, like, for example, the, they discovered squarks and gluinos. And, uh, I mean, again, there's so many Those subatomic particles. sound like words in a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> right? Yeah, they, they do. Um, and their mass limits were discovered via CERN. Uh, so it's astonishing how even though some of these things don't sound like they could be observed in real time, some amazing things are are happening that do validate these theories. Even though they make sense on paper, they're also being observed. So it's it's really fascinating because if we didn't have any kind of other... Uh, evidence for it, it would, there would be a problem there if it was only making sense mathematically and not in any other uh, sense. Uh, that being said, like, there are some some issues with, uh, with supersymmetry. For example, um, Mikhail Schiffman, uh, who's a, a physicist, he, uh, he claimed that uh, they need to actually look for new ideas and the supersymmetry doesn't work. And the chief reason why is uh, because it means that you have to consider the the idea that these uh, strings, and more importantly, these subatomic particles, which to reiterate are strings, but they're, they're behaving as particles 
on in these particular uh, instances that they aren't behaving the way they behave when observed in a number of instances. And this is called um, uh, non-naturalness. So in other words, they're not behaving as they behave in nature, so they're behaving a-naturally. So moving on from that, the so now we've run into a wall again. So what's the, the means of, of coming through that wall, those issues? And that would be M-theory. And M-theory uh, also attempts, like every other theory that we've covered, to uh, sort of overcome all of the issues that occur either via observation or on paper. And one of the important ideas in regarding that is the idea of a brain, B-R-A-N-E. So that is an object that sort of uh, generalizes the notion of a point particle to a higher dimension. So case in point, there's a point particle, and it could be in dimension zero, and then a string could be dimension one. So then you, you as you go higher up dimensionally, then they start getting different names like P-brain, which I've seen a number of physicists make jokes about that because P-brain sounds like an insult. <laughs> um, and then, then you have P plus one when you add dimensional volume. So the bottom line here is that they're taking this concept of brains to try and overcome some of these... Uh, some of these unnaturalnesses that I was mentioning before. Now, M-theory, the name of it, is sort of up for debate. Some people call it magic theory because, you know, it magically makes everything make sense. And some people say that it's membrane theory. I think that's actually more accurate, more on that later. And some people even call it mother theory because, you know, it sort of uh, uh, gives rise to all modern uh, physics ideas. So... Personally, though, I think membrane makes more sense because uh, in a lot of instances, M-theory says, you know what, actually forget about uh, zero-dimensional point particles and uh, replace them with strings, which I previously mentioned. Well, if that's the case, then what would you call a two-dimensional string? Well, you would call that a supermembrane. So that's that's where that brain comes from. It's, it's literally short for super membrane. So if that's the case, then there would be sort of that that membrane running through all of the universe. Everything would sort of be tied together in that respect. And if everything's sort of tied together by some sort of singular force, which in this case is a, a membrane, two things uh, of note happen. One, it means that everything's sort of interconnected and that those vibrations are playing off each other. And secondly, it opens the idea. And this is where I really wanted to go with this the whole time. In fact, I kind of led the talk towards this, uh, which is, you know, you could say is biased, but it lends itself to the idea that there is a field, a membrane or a field. You could call it either one because it is a, it is a kind of field theory um, of consciousness because, you know, that's something we, we often uh, don't incorporate into hard science the idea of consciousness. Uh, you know, classical theory asserts that consciousness is merely uh, the interplay of neurons, which in turn is the interplay of atoms, and that there's nothing really beyond that. But old-time philosophy had a, a huge view on field theory of consciousness way before M-theory. And what's neat about that is that old concept now becomes more relevant again. It's not just uh, theoretical in that respect. And uh, a great example of this would be in the 13th century. 
There was a fella that I think most people I'd like to think know of named Thomas Aquinas. And he had a colleague named Seeger of Brabant. And Seeger was a big fan of Averroes, who was an Arab philosopher from the 12th century. <laughs> and Seeger thought that Averroes was right about this idea that there's actually only a singular intellect in the universe. And it actually uses human minds to think. So in other words, it's monism again. We, we talked about monism before, but it's this idea that every being, in, in Averroes' case, it's just humans, but uh, I'll, I'll take it to another level, that every being sort of functions like a cell within the body of a higher being, which may or may not be God in that respect. And Thomas Aquinas did not like that view at all. Uh, he actually published an entire book about it. <laughs> That's how mad he was at the prospect. And uh, yeah, it's called De Unite Intellectus Contra Averostis. In other words, the unity of intellect against Averroes. <laughs> and uh, it was actually so compelling that the Bishop of Paris uh, actually decided, you know what, uh, Thomas Aquinas is right. The idea that there is a single intellect and then all minds, you know, comprise it is heresy. So people weren't even allowed to teach it or they'd be uh, uh, excommunicated. And to be fair, monopsychism is a heresy in a lot of uh, religious bodies, including, I think, even the modern Catholic Church. I don't know, Vatican II took care of their art. Probably not. But what's neat about it is it posits that idea that consciousness is something that can actually interact directly with, and we, we covered this sort of when we talked about manifestation, with the universe at large. Because, again, you're dealing with a field or a membrane that permeates everything, and in turn, the vibration of those strings that comprise, to reiterate, everything is played upon by the vibration of other strings, and consciousness itself stems from, as I mentioned before, the interaction between neurons and as such the interaction between atoms, which means that consciousness stems from the vibration of those very strings. So the, it, it does lend some credence, and I realize I'm getting a little pseudoscientific here, but it does lend some credence to the idea of sort of a universal field of consciousness that could belong to something that we would consider to be a higher being or even higher beings. And I know personally some physicists who do ascribe to that view. They do think that there is a single unified field of consciousness and that that plays just as much a role in the, the layout scope nature of our universe and our place in it as matter does. Mm. Wow. Whew. My head hurts. That was the noise of all of that information going right over my head, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, you there was some of it that you explained that that was that made sense to me, especially at the very beginning. I my my brain just like I think that this is one of those things that I can't I just can't wrap my mind around it because it is so out there. Well, to to be fair, it is so complicated and convoluted and we covered so much that like I mean the the time scale in which I explained it doesn't remotely do it justice. And the means by which I explained it really, like if, if a physicist was listening, there probably is one, they're probably like, I don't know, punching a wall right yeah. now. Well, well, we just made so, the scientific yeah. community so angry. That's what. Yeah. They called a hit out <laughs> on us. I hope not. I, I prefaced mine with yeah. the fact that I, I know nothing about this. James, 
I, you did an excellent job. I'm sorry that I just, I'm, I'm, my brain is beyond <laughs> understanding physics, <laughs> but you know what? It did make me stop and think about how you said, both of you said, you know, physics could mean that the death of the universe is upon us at some point in the future. But it's like, what if there's a scientist out there that knows more than we can even fathom? Cause they're just like a super genius, but they know if I release this information, the, everyone's going to freak out. They're going to grab the dinosaurs. He knows. So, he knows what we're going for first. Yeah. I, we're I'm pulling just, the dinosaurs forward. Pulling the dinosaurs forward. That's yeah. what, yeah. If you could bring something back from way dinosaurs. back, dinosaurs. Oh, what else am I going to bring? I'm sorry. Amoebas? I, no, thank you. I thought that you, I, you know, if they're still around, I know, I know. <laughs> I was thinking of like the first life form on our, um, I, uh, I have no uh, interest in having gotcha. like a dish of those. Oh, I Alex want dinos. Alex wants dinos. Everyone, I want a woolly uh, mammoth. Let, let's, let, I just want to settle all these dinosaur debates here and now. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Feathers, no feathers. I hope they show up. Yeah. They have zero feathers. They're just leathery skin mm. and, the, that whole community just loses their mind. They've been wrong. <laughs> you know, you know, I would. Steven Spielberg was right. Well, I would no. I would love to hear Henry, the host's take on that. And he would lose his mind. He would tell me it's impossible. I would say, look at the dinosaurs we just brought from the past. Yeah, anyway. Alex would be like, I just used my time machine that I built because now that I've done my research for Jordan's string theory episode. I understand how to go back in time. Yeah. And so, Henry, he's yeah. built a time machine. Yeah. He took a picture on his cell phone of what mm-hmm. the dinosaurs actually look like. Because, unfortunately, his time machine was just too small to yeah. actually carry any of them back. Yeah. Um, and there were no <laughs> copies around. So, sorry. But, yeah, that's... <laughs> Turns out it's harder to catch a dinosaur than you would have thought. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, James, what would you bring back? Um... Wow, I don't know. Um, I, you know what? I feel bad for the Neanderthals that we outcompeted them. I'd bring a whole bunch of them back. Their minds would explode. Yeah, they would be like. Oh no! See, that's the thing. Neanderthals were so smart. That's uh, the thing. They would. Uh, they they they'd help us go to President the Neanderthal. Do you do you remember yeah. that um, Neanderthal commercials with the mm. was it the car commercials or something? Oh, Geico. Guy, yeah, Geico. Oh yeah, 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 Geico. The yeah. caveman. Ooh, ooh, weird time travel plot twist. You know, the, the reason why the Neanderthals got out competed was they were actually bred out and partly hybridized by people. We've talked yeah. about that before. Plot twist. I travel back in time to save them. My time machine breaks. I fall in love with one of them, and I'm what made the hybrid. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. James, that, that would be quite the movie. You know what, James? That's awesome. We come up with a movie or a television show just about every single episode. We would call it, we would we call it Harry Love. <laughs> Harry Love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. There's there, somewhere out there. There's a French producer who's just like, buy it, <laughs> fund it. Oh, oh well, man. I would want to go back and see what all of the flowers and trees and plants look like. Mm, yeah, uh. I want to look at the flora. <laughs> Alex, I'm, I'm going to kick you in your shins. What are you going to do? Bring a succulent back? Oh no, I would never do that because it would be an invasive wow. species. Not to get that in a pot. What? All right, listen. <laughs> Um, I want to go on a weird. No, no, I'll say that. No, for what were you? Episode. What was your weird tangent going to be? Gems. 
I mean, this is something we could definitely say for another episode, but it's just, this is something that amazes me because you're talking about bringing something back. And I thought about it. You guys know what the best predator in the world is? Like the number one predator? Humans? The dodo. No. Um, it hasn't changed in 300 million years except for scale. And it has a 100% almost, like 99.9% kill ratio. So anytime it goes after something, it gets it. It was perfect from square one. It never had to change. It never had to evolve because it was just perfect. Okay. And that is the dragonfly. Oh, I have seen dragonfly. so many dragonflies lately. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen. The, I haven't. Seen but I mean, them. that's the truth. It's it literally like we talk about the alien movie, the perfect organism. Dragonflies are the perfect organism. Wow, not that perfect. I James. stepped on one yesterday on accident. Mm. Did you really? No, James. I was about to say. I was like, I don't think anybody has ever stepped on a dragonfly. No, dragon. They're yeah, so they're fast. Very fast, mm. and they're really you just pretty. Sh- you just challenged the entire world to step on a dragonfly. No. You just got rid of dragonflies. <laughs> oh, <for no>. <laughs> um, James, I cannot wait for your future rant fully on dragonflies because I'm sure that you'll explain yeah. why they're the perfect predators. I will mm. say that I've never been attacked by a dragonfly, mm. but anyways. I think that's it, you guys. I think this is our string theory episode. I know that it got derailed at the very end. It just got kind of, it got a little kooky. I hope that we haven't melted your brains with all of this information. But is there anything you guys want to add before we draw from the vice? Um, no. Except no. for, um, oh, our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon <laughs> Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. All right. Let me grab the vase. All right, bud. Will you? Oh, you want me to do it? Yeah, drop in the vase for next week's episode. All right. There you All go. Right. Ooh, oh, you got two. Oh, yeah. This two. All right, you guys. Next week, we are talking about... Hey, uh, speaking of Henry the Host, we're talking about fearsome cryptids. Mm. Oh. And hey. I am not entirely sure which fearsome cryptids he he wants us to talk about. So, James, I'm not sure if you could come up with a couple that are scary. And, Henry, okay. if you have any specific on your brain, send those to Alex on Twitter. Um, all right, you guys. I think that's it for this episode. Until next week, we hope that you can keep it Mushrooms, mushrooms, it's a snake.